Today is Thursday, June 28th, and I am Laura Lee Siemens. So check out my webpage for past podcasts and for my video series, The Abortion Debate. So this week I posted the last episode of the series, at least for now. I may return and do some more episodes in the future. Uh, however, in the next few weeks, we're going to be starting a new series called The Euthanasia Debate. So I've actually had a lot of people ask me questions about euthanasia over the last little while so we're going to be starting that new series so that will be on monday will be our first episode airing for that uh, so yeah go back and check out my website laureliesiemens.com and you can find the video series you can also find lots of uh, episodes from this podcast and you can catch up on all the ones that you've missed and also by the way if you're listening to this podcast on a podcast addict or on itunes or any of those things please subscribe and also you can give like a four-star review because that would be perfect. All right, so today we have our last Canadian history segment for a little while. Um, I think our, if you can remember, I said a few weeks ago, which is probably like a little over a month ago now, I said we would do Canadian history segment all the way until Canada Day, and that is this weekend. So this is our last Canadian history segment for the next little while. All right, so here we go, our Canadian history story. So Charles was born four weeks before Christmas in Cambridge, Massachusetts. But the year was 1919. Before the Christmas day, Charles moved with his family to St. John's, New Brunswick. In 1936, when Charles was still a teenager, he started writing for St. John Citizen, and he then wrote for St. John Telegraph and then the Canadian Press. In 1940, Charles moved to Vancouver and he became the bureau chief of the British United Press. In 1943, Charles was just 22 years old. He began writing for Reuters as a war correspondent. Then, one Tuesday, he would capture the story that we still talk about today. The Allied Army set out on what was called Operation Overlord. Only nine journalists would be allowed to join the operation, and Charles was one of them. June 6, 1944, Charles captured the story of the Allied invasion of Normandy. Today we know this as D-Day. It was the largest seaborne invasion in history. Even today, we have never had an invasion that large. The pictures and the stories captured that day are still used today as we remember D-Day. As the war ended, the horrors of what Nazis had done became clear, and trials were held in Norberg, Germany, and these became known as the Norberg Trials. So in these trials, the Nazis were convicted of crimes against peace, crimes against humanity, war crimes, and conspiracy to commit war crimes. So Charles actually attended these trials, and he told the stories he heard to his Canadian readers. Through Charles' stories, Canadians began to learn the horrors of the war. And they came to see that their sons, their brothers, their husbands, their fathers had not fought in vain. They had truly been fighting evil. It was Charles' stories that brought the trials into the homes of Canadians. As the war ended, Charles began to write columns, and he was known as being a really folksy writer. People really liked his down-to-earth stories. And his stories went from being published in the Ottawa paper to becoming a syndicated columnist for the news service. And his column was published five times a week. 
Then, Charles branched out from writing to starting to make appearances on radio and TV. Charles covered Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau and Lester Pearson. Then in 1984, Charles wrote a column, and it would change everything. He wrote a column in the middle of the Meech-like Accord, and in that column, Charles said that Newfoundland should be expelled from the Confederation because it opposed the Accord. This column was the end of Charles' career because he had moved from telling the stories to telling us how we should feel about the news. And that is not journalism. A young man named Rick Mercer performed a stage show called Show Me the Button, I'll Push It, Charles Lynch Must Die. Ironically, Rick Mercer would go on to become famous for telling not news stories, but how we should feel about the news stories. So Charles' son Andrews, a notable publisher today in the city of British Columbia. You know, there was a time when journalists were our ears and our eyes, and they showed us what was happening in places where we couldn't be. They were at the Himberg. They were our eyes at D-Day on the beach. They showed us the first pictures from the concentration camps. They were at Ground Zero in New York. Their words and their pictures gave us information we needed so that we could change the world. Pictures of children in horrible working conditions showed the world horrible situations. And then citizens, they went out and worked to pass laws that would end child labor. You see, the media was important, but then something happened. The media changed. Instead of filling 30 minutes after supper and an hour at the end of the day, they became a 24-hour news source. And instead of getting things to print, journalists had to instantly tweet out a picture of the news. There's this guy named Daniel Bernstein. He warned us about this in a book he wrote called The Image. And he wrote this book in 1962. So already in the 60s, he could see the media was moving in a direction where they were looking for ratings instead of truth. In the 60s, uh, press conferences became televised and debates became like rating gold. Truth began to fade and was replaced by sensationalism. But I wonder if Daniel could have even imagined the fake news we would be consuming today. When I was in university, I was studying journalism, and I remember this project we had. So we were given a piece of paper had a list of facts that came in from a recent accident. We had 15 minutes to write a story. So the facts given to us were pretty clear. There was a woman, she'd been drinking and driving, she'd killed someone. We all wrote the story and then we turned it in. And after we turned it in, our teacher gave us another sheet of information. It turned out the lady had not been drinking and driving. She actually had a stroke and had passed away later at the hospital. So then our teacher was reading through our stories and he pointed out all of us had just ruined the memory of this lady. So our reply, like what we said, was like, hey, we used the information we had and you only gave us 15 minutes. What were we supposed to do? And I can remember that our, my teacher said, you don't print information unless you know it's true. You don't ruin a person's reputation just because you only had 15 minutes and you were pretty sure it was right. You have to get the story right. And that really stood out to me. It was a lesson that I learned. But I don't think it was a lesson the journalists we have today know. In this drive to get the story out first and fast, truth doesn't matter. Ruining somebody doesn't matter. Okay, there's this group called Project Veritas, and they do undercover uh, movie. They do undercover news. So they actually went undercover into CNN 
and New York Times. And what they found out, there's this guy named John Bonifield. He works at CNN. And he said uh, that the president was right when he said the CNN was basically just witch hunting him. They said they had no smoking gun. They had no proof. But they were still going to talk about the Russian Trump story because it was good for business. Good for business. It's just ratings. Truth doesn't matter. But the New York Times was possibly even worse. So they hired this guy named Nick Dudrick, and he had worked on the campaigns for Obama and Hillary Clinton. So according to Nick, and by the way, he's the audience strategy editor. That's his job. So his job, um, he decides what videos are going to show up on your social media timeline. So you have videos that show up on your Facebook or on your Twitter, on your Instagram. This guy, Nick, is the one deciding what videos are going to show up. So according to Nick, his goal was to make the president's life as difficult as possible. That's not journalism. And he said he was proud to say that he wasn't objective. In fact, he said that's why he was hired because he wasn't going to be objective. He had no plans on being objective. And Nick wasn't the only one at the New York Times. There's this other person named Des Shu, and she was an editor, and she said she was purposely doing stories to make Trump look crazy because she wanted people to think, wow, he's crazy. I shouldn't vote for him. That's the media today. They don't care at all about the truth. All they care about is ratings and manipulating you. So let me give you an example. A few weeks ago, uh, the, uh, as the IDF and the Israel army, they were protecting its border and news came out that a baby had been killed. So immediately everyone was condemning Israel. The UN even held a special council. Everyone was freaking out. So I pointed out on my podcast that it seemed a little fishy. I mean, who takes a baby to a war zone where people are attacking a border? So people were so upset with me. I was told a baby died. A baby. You are completely heartless if you don't care about a baby dying. How can you possibly stand with Israel when they're killing babies? Babies. So every news station carried the news of this baby. Even Fox News that supports Israel's right to defend themselves was calling on Israel to find a way to stop the killing. Well, it was all fake news. This baby died of a blood disease. This little girl's older brother had actually died from the same blood disease when the brother was the same age as this little girl. The parents were paid thousands of dollars by Hamas to bring their dead baby to the border and claim that Israel had killed it. Like all fake news, it was corrected, but it was corrected quietly and quickly. It didn't have all of the attention that the fake news had. And I hate it when the left uses babies and children to try to force you to take their side. Now the left is using babies and small children to make you take the side of the no border people. No borders. Who in their right minds thinks countries should have no borders? Well, apparently if you think a country should have borders and should protect its borders and should decide who comes in and out of their country across their borders, then you hate babies and children. So let's go from where the story started, because I always like to do the history behind the stories. So we have to go all the way back to 1997. So I was graduating high school that year, and Clinton was the president. So while Clinton was the president, he signed into place this agreement called the Flores Agreement. And that said minors who crossed the border couldn't be held for more than 20 days. So that meant if they were held, um, even after this agreement, by the way, they were held, minors during Clinton, were held uh, and confined, and even after the agreement, they were held for at least 20 days. So this passed, and then from 1997 until just a few years ago, 
that's what was happening. Minors would be held for 20 days. And then if they were from Canada or Mexico, they could be deported. But if they were not from Canada or Mexico, then they were held for longer and there was more of a longer court proceeding. And the reason for this was because they were trying to crack down on child trafficking and human smuggling because that's kind of a big thing in Guatemala and Honduras. So in 2014, there was a flood of immigrants with children. And Obama held the parents and the children in custody. At the time, the head of the DDS, uh, he said, we're doing this for a determinant. We want to stop people from crossing the border with children. So people were really upset about this because, you know, children shouldn't be in prison with adults. So this went to court and the Ninth Circuit ruled you can't hold parents and children in prison because you can't have children in prison with adults. Seems obvious. So Obama decided he's just going to let anyone with kids be set free. So what happened is if you had a kid, you'd cross the border, they would say, oh, you have a kid, so we're not going to hold you. We're going to give you a court date. We're going to tell you to come back to court on that day, which of course they didn't. So on top of that, children who were held in custody, they were united with family or sponsors in America. But when social workers went to the addresses where the kids were supposed to be, the kids were gone because people had just moved. So under the Obama presidency, children who came to the country illegally were just lost and they're somewhere in the United States. Nobody knows where they are. Okay, now imagine you're a human trafficker. Your business is getting people into the United States without proper paperwork. Then you find out anyone who crosses with a child gets a free pass. What would you do? Well, not surprisingly, the number of people crossing the border with children skyrocketed. Children traveling alone skyrocketed. Then in 2017-18, Trump came into power. Trump said he was going to have a zero tolerance policy. If you want to claim asylum, cross at a port of entrance. You won't have problems. You won't be separated from your children. You will be taken care of. If you want to come into the country, cross at the port of entrance. However, if you cross at any other part of the border, you're going to prison. By the way, this includes American citizens as well. Even American citizen, if it crosses into America, not at a port of entry, they are also taken into prison. Human trafficking needed to end. Well, add together the Flores Agreement, saying children can't be held for more than 20 days, and the Ninth Circuit rule, saying children can't be in prison with adults, and add the no tolerance policy, that meant children and parents who crossed would be separated. So children after 20 days were sent to HHS and they were held at a children's facility until a family member or a sponsor could be found. If a parent didn't ask for asylum, they would be reunited, reunited very quickly. However, if they did ask for asylum, then the cases would get longer because they would have to go to court. No one noticed this or cared until Trump had his meeting with North Korea. Suddenly the news was there was going to be peace in North Korea, something everyone thought was impossible. It was even trending on Twitter that Trump should get a Nobel Peace Prize. And then the committee from the Nobel Peace Prize admitted they actually had received a nomination for Trump. Suddenly, the eyes of the media are on the border. So let's look at this fake news. It started with a picture of two little children sitting in what looks like a dog cage from like a kennel. The picture went viral and people were freaking out. They're like, this is Trump's America? children in dog cages except the picture was from a few years ago and was actually obama's america 
No one was freaking out about Obama. In fact, every person I pointed this out to made excuses for Obama. Then there was a little picture of his little boys in a blue coat. He's inside this cage. He's holding onto wires of the cage and crying. That also went viral. Trump, this is a child. A child. Except the picture was cropped. Once the whole picture was published, you could see it was actually a protest picture. There was a bunch of kids that were inside a cage holding signs. One little boy was just done and he wanted out and that's why he was crying. And there's another picture published of him playing outside the protest once his mom, who was standing right next to the cage, took him out so he could play. All right. Then there's a picture of a group of children in orange jumpsuits went viral. Look at what Trump is doing to these kids. These are not criminals. These are children. Children, I tell you. Except it was a frame from a video that was made a few years ago. It was a video about how Obama puts more money into prisons and into schools and all the kids in the picture were actually white actors. Then there was a picture of a family. Parents on one side of a wire fence, children on the other. They're crying and they're reaching through the fence. How can Trump do this to families? Except the picture was taken in Iraq. Then there was a picture of a bus full of car seats. Oh my goodness, it's a toddler bus. Trump is taking a bus of toddlers to prison. He has a toddler prison. Except this was an old picture from a few years ago when you guessed it, Obama was president. Then there's a picture of the little girl. She stole the hearts of America, just two years old, standing next to a police car, her little body no taller than the knees of the police she's surrounded by. She's not just crying, she's screaming. How can Trump do this? Does he have no heart at all? Except the legs in the picture are the legs of her mother. The little girl was just inches from her mother and her mother picked her up just after the picture was taken. The girl was crying. She was terrified. It was 11 o'clock at night. She was hungry. She was tired. She was thirsty. She just survived a horrible and unnecessary, dangerous journey. The truth is the little girl had been kidnapped. Her father had no idea she'd been taken to America. The mother had stolen her and also, by the way, abandoned her other three children. Her husband had a job. They were not living in poverty. Her mother had tried to come to America before and had been sent back already. I wonder why she brought the two-year-old with her and not her older children. Maybe because she thought she might get pity if she had a baby with her. Even though the truth of this picture came out, this didn't stop Time Magazine from publishing a cover story of this little girl crying with Trump standing over her, glaring at her with the caption, Welcome to America. Well, the little girl was welcomed to America. She was not separated from her mother, although her mother seems like maybe she's not a great mother. Perhaps she should be separated from her mother. She was given a warm place to sleep. She was given food and water. She was welcomed into the country by border agents who were kind and compassionate to her. But to the media, Trump is Hitler, and those border guards are Nazis. CNN interviewed a border agent, and it didn't really go the way CNN had planned. So they played the audio of children crying, and they asked the border agent about it. And he replied with some pretty horrible stories. He told the story of a nine-year-old boy dying in front of him from overexposure and heat stroke. He told about taking dead bodies of children out of the river. He told about young girls who were on birth control because their parents knew part of the journey to America would involve getting raped. 
told the story of a man they had caught just that day with a five-year-old girl. The man was wanted in America for rape. This would be one of the children they separated from the parent at the border. You see, it isn't a black and white issue that the media wants you to believe. Yes, we have to have grace, but we also have to have justice. A country has to have laws. It has to be sovereign of its own borders or it's not a country at all. Yes, the border has a problem and it needs to be fixed. And yes, little children who survive a horrible trip are going to be traumatized and forcibly taking them from their parents is traumatic. And also, yes, human traffickers are using children to get people across the border. All of these things are true, which is why it has to be an impossible job for those border agents. Of the 12,000 plus kids held right now, a little over 2,000 of them were separated from parents. That's a lot of kids that came that weren't separated from their parents. That's a lot of child trafficking. Look, if you're outraged by this, which pretty much everyone on my Facebook and Twitter feed seems to be, stop for just a second and ask yourself a few questions. Why do we have passports? Is that important that people have passports? Why do we have borders? Would you like to live in a world where adults could travel freely from country to country with children and no passports and no one asks any questions? Does it seem like that might cause some problems? If we decided that anyone with a child can walk freely into any country with no questions, they can cross wherever they want. It doesn't have to be a port of entry. If you have a kid with you, just come on in whichever way you want. Who do you think is going to benefit from that the most? Do you think possibly, just maybe, human traffickers are pushing for this? Look, the fake media doesn't actually care about the safety of children. All they care about is ratings. There's a lot of bad people crossing this border. And Trump pointed this out at a press conference where he had parents who had been permanently separated from their children because their children were dead, killed by people who should not have been in the country. Their stories were heartbreaking and horrifying. So each of these parents had this large picture of their child who had been killed. And Trump had autographed each of these pictures. Now, can you guess what the media focused on? Was it the hurting parents? Nope, they didn't care about them. Was it the dead children? Nope, no one cared about them. Was it the crimes committed by people who had broken into this country? Nope, it was on Trump. How dare he autograph the pictures? He's clearly Hitler. No one bothered to ask the parents how they felt about Trump autographing the pictures. So it turned out the parents had actually requested it. They wanted it as a way to remember that they had visited the White House and about the day that Trump stood up and told the story of their child. So apparently what happened is there was one mother who had asked first and her son had died and her son was actually the only family she had left. She's now completely alone. And she thought it would be nice to have Trump sign the picture. So she asked him and she was so happy when he said yes. And then the other parents thought, wow, that's a really nice idea. And they asked Trump to sign their picture as well. But the media covers a whole day with the headline, Trump's this narcissist who signs pictures of dead kids. Clearly he's Hitler. And you know what? It's really actually sick. All of this comparison to the concentration camps and the Japanese internment camps. Children, they're being housed in detention centers. Okay, that sounds horrible. And it is horrible. But let's think about this, okay, a little bit. 
There's four to a room. They go to school for five hours a day. And that includes, by the way, language studies, which they need if they're going to stay in America. They're given three hot meals a day. They have TVs to watch sports on. There's a basketball courts and soccer courts. And the staff is working to find them sponsors or family so that they can be released. Compare that to the concentration camps. People were piled on top of each other. They spent the day either doing hard physical labor or most of those children, a lot of them, were actually used for scientific experiments. They were given a small bowl of food a day and if they looked sickly, they were shot. Or if a guard was just bored, he would shoot them. The children would actually cut themselves and then rub the blood on their faces like blush so they wouldn't look sickly. They had to parade naked in front of the guards. And if they looked frail and they were too frail to work, the guards would just shoot them. They left the camps not because families had been found for them. They left to be sent to large rooms that would fill up with gas that burned their lungs and suffocated them to death. If you're comparing what is happening at the American border to the concentration camps, you are a sick person for two reasons. One, you're minimizing what happened to the Jewish children in those camps. Those two experiences cannot be compared. Two, you're comparing the people protecting the American border with the men and women who ran the concentration camps. That is unfair and a lie. Comparing the border to internment camps is also wrong. The internment camps were full of American citizens who did nothing wrong. No law had been broken. The only crime they had was being born Japanese. That is not the same thing as what's happening at the border. But since the media wants to look at concentration camps and internment camps, let's look at them. So the Jewish refugees came to America and they were turned away and sent back to Germany. And those Jews landed in concentration camps and died. Do you know who sent those Jews back to Germany? The Democrats. The internment camps. Do you know who invented them and filled them up with Japanese people? The Democrats. The only Americans who sent people to concentration camps and internment camps were the Democrats. They own those camps. And yet they are the ones continuing to push the narrative that Trump is Hitler. And if Trump is Hitler, what are his followers? And that's where it's going now. Johnny Jish was on Morning Joe and he was very clear. He said anyone who voted for Trump is like a guard in the concentration camp. He actually said it's not good enough to say Trump is evil. If you like Trump, you are evil. But Michael Moore, he was worse. He compared Trump to a rapist. And he said anyone who votes for him is like someone who holds the woman down while they're being raped. And he said just because you didn't do the rape didn't mean you're not a rapist. So to be clear, according to Michael Moore, if you voted for Trump, they used to say if you voted for Trump, you're a racist. Now, if you voted for Trump, you're a rapist. And it's in Canada too. A Canadian Liberal Party executive said that Trump supporters are subhuman and their children need to be taken away from them. There were calls to put Trump's 10-year-old son in a cage with a pedophile. And when Trump Jr. called this out as really being horrible, a Canadian CBC staff said, don't worry, we're coming for Chloe too. You see, if Trump is Hitler, then anyone who supports him is a Nazi. And that means you can do whatever you want to them. So Sarah Sanders, she was out for supper at this restaurant called the Red Hen, 
with her husband and his family, and the owner came and asked to speak to Sarah. And then she said she couldn't serve her because she worked for Trump and she asked Sarah to leave. So Sarah did, and she even offered to pay for the drinks that already had. So Sarah and her husband, they were too upset. They didn't want to eat anymore, so they just went home. Side note, his family are actually Democrats. They were still hungry, so they went across the street to eat. Well, the owner of the Red Hen wasn't done. Her and a bunch of the staff, they followed them and began screaming at them and trying to get them to leave the second restaurant. And now Sarah Sanders actually has to have Secret Service guarding her because of the threats and the attacks that are growing on her. Seth Rogen, okay, he was all excited to tell people how he embarrassed Paul Ryan in front of his kids. So Paul asked for an autograph for his kids and Seth, instead of just giving him an autograph, he told the kids what a horrible father they had. Seth, you sound like a really pleasant person. And then Pam, uh, Pam Bondi. So Pam Bondi was at a documentary about Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers. And she was surrounded and yelled at by large men. They even spit on her. But Pam, and this is kind of cool, she refused to leave. She watched the whole movie. But this group harassed her the whole time she was there. Seriously, Pam is one of my favorite people now. I mean, this is guts to refuse to leave while that's happening. And then Stephen Miller, he had his home surrounded with people and they were blaring audio of the children crying at the border. And then they plastered his neighborhood with wanted signs with his picture on it saying he was guilty of crimes against humanity. And then staff who worked for the Department of Homeland Security, somebody took a bunch of animals and killed them and put them on their front lawn and then burned them. Children of the Department of Homeland Security are being threatened. So if you work for the Department of Homeland Security now, your children are being threatened. And so now they have to have their children being taken care of to make sure that they're not hurt. Stephen Crowder was doing a Change My Mind segment and somebody tweeted out the location of his van and told people to firebomb it. So when Stephen found this person who had sent this tweet and confronted her, everyone began shouting at Stephen, calling him the Nazi. Not even one person said the woman was wrong for threatening to firebomb his van. Maxine Waters, and she's a woman who's been a congresswoman for over 20 years. She's called for her supporters to find Republicans and harass them. The Democrats are now telling Trump supporters, avoid being in public. Look, there is a danger of this. Someone's going to get hurt. The fake media has created an atmosphere where everyone is in a panic. People actually believe Trump is Hitler and all his followers are Nazis. Does truth even matter at all? Over the last few days, I've felt burdened and sad, hopeless. I actually felt kind of alone. It seems like everyone is either afraid to say the truth or has believed the lie. Then last night, I was watching Hannity and he finishes up his show. He ended the same way he ends every show. Let not your heart be troubled. And I heard that and God reminded me of the rest of the verse. I feel like I could hear God saying it to me. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my father's house are many dwellings. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. You know the way and where I am going. 
And Thomas said, Lord, how do we know where you're going? How do we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. First Timothy chapter 3 talks about uh, the end of times. and It says, remember there will be difficult times in the last days. People will be selfish and greedy and boastful and conceited. They'll be insulting and disobedient to their parents. They'll be ungrateful, irreligious. They'll be unkind, merciless, slanderous, violent, fierce. They will hate the good. They will be treacherous and reckless. They will be swollen with pride. They will love pleasure rather than God. They will hold to the outward form of religion, but they'll reject its true power. And 2 Timothy says, For a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Doesn't that just sum up our world today? It can frighten me and it can leave my heart troubled. And I can wonder, is there any hope for our North American churches waking up? Is there any hope that they will fall in love with the Word of God again? Is there any chance that we as Christians will actually want to know the mind of Christ? Is there any chance of our society turning to God? Will revival even come? There's a song I used to sing in church as a child, and the words went like this. Send a revival, O Christ my Lord. Let it go over the land and the sea. Send it according to thy dear word, and let it begin in me. Lord, send a revival, and let it begin in me. Listen to the words of Jesus again. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is going to return, and that is news that should bring us peace. But are you ready for Jesus to return? The way to God is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In this world, we're desperate for truth. Jesus is the truth. When you come to Jesus and you fall on your face before him and you confess your sins and you ask him to forgive you, he will. And he will revive your heart. And the revival the candidate needs will start in you. And when Jesus returns, you'll be ready for him. He has a wonderful place prepared for you, prepared for us. I know that I am ready. Are you ready? I'm Lee Siemens. I'll see you next week. And I'll leave you with the words of Jesus. Don't let your hearts be troubled.